Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. Joining me now, Dr. Wong Hong Tim is in the studio, the chairman of Guide Dogs Singapore, also the medical director, the National Healthcare Group Eye Institute, and uh, the clinical director in the Center for Healthcare Innovation at Tan Tok Seng Hospital. Dr. Wong, good morning. Welcome to Weekend Mornings. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you here today. You know, many of us take sight for granted. Of course, a lot of us wear glasses and we have the usual issues, but uh, there are uh, quite a number of people in Singapore that are either partially sighted or blind. That's right. It And I think, well, the estimate, it's a very huge and rough estimate, is that there are probably about 50,000 people in Singapore who have vision-related problems or perhaps are completely blind. As it stands now, don't yet have a blind registry. Most doctors and specialist clinics in the hospitals would have an idea, but this is really an estimate. So we're dealing with 50,000 people in the community in general. It's kind of surprising to me that, you know, Singapore is so great. The healthcare system is so extensive complete. Why is it that we don't have for for something that is a, a fairly basic problem or handicap, physical challenge, why is it that we don't have a central a registry or understanding of just how many people are affected by this? I think it's on the way, this registry. There are other priorities as well. When you set up a registry, it's, it takes a huge resource to mm-hmm. get that going. And therefore, I think from the ministry's point of view, uh, the health ministry's point of view, they have to decide which are the conditions, the diseases, the disabilities that require a registry to begin with and then work down that, that line. Now, although I say 50,000, in the very big picture of things globally, I would say that it's not a big percentage for Singapore compared to other countries. Mm-hmm. So I think a registry is coming up, but not quite right yet. Yeah, of mm-hmm. course, we, we do see accommodation for uh, partially sighted or blind people with yes. the at, at intersections. Uh, some right. have the audible sounds, others, but almost all of them have the, the dots. That's right. That's right. So that's come through years of um, good cooperation with uh, ourselves, um, our colleagues at the Singapore Association of Visually Handicapped and the LTA, Land Transport Authority. I mm-hmm. think They've been great partners in making life a lot easier and um, um, sort of empowering a a lot of our visually disabled people to be as independent and as mobile as possible. Yeah. What are the nature of of the people that you that you do know, the cases that you do know? What are the nature? What is the nature of of how they became partially sighted or blind? Is it a congenital issue? Are they work related accidents? What what does the general population look like when it comes to people that are uh, having trouble with their eyesight? Sure. In Singapore, at least, and I think in most of the developed world, uh, blindness and poor vision comes from uh, chronic diseases. And I would say that diabetic eye disease in Singapore is oh. is very important and very high up on the list. Next would be glaucoma, mm. right? It's when you have uh, generally high pressures in the eye that destroy the nerve of the eye. And then also another condition called age-related macular degeneration. Mm. And unfortunately, we're world famous for having a lot of myopic, short-sighted people as well. And that in itself can cause visual loss and disability too. Yeah. So I would say these are top four or five and um, there's a smaller but very much affected group uh, of people who have congenital or inherited conditions and they start off with poor vision from a very, very young age. Yeah, and the schooling, the, the educational opportunities 
for people that are blind or partially sighted? Are they, are they pretty good here? I think they're improving. Uh, we do have greater awareness now. There is also a fellow charity of ours uh, called IC2, and they deal with uh, visual disability uh, in the younger uh, age group of, of people as well. So, yeah, things are looking up, but I would yeah. say that there's a lot more to be done. It's interesting you mentioned the diabetes because as we know, you know, diabetes-related health issues uh, have been on the rise yes. for years, and it's a very serious concern not Absolutely. only with, you know, with the type 2 diabetes and the not only the older folks, but now younger people as yeah, well. That's right. Um, mm-hmm. would, would this... Do you expect this to be a cause of eye-related, uh, increasing eye-related uh, issues in, in years and decades to come in Singapore? Absolutely. I think we are famous for myopia and we, we are pretty famous for diabetes as well. I think yeah. our prevalence in, in Singapore is, um, I would say, 10 or 12% actually, one of the highest in the developed world. Wow. So um, if we don't have a lid on it, and we're trying our best now with the war on diabetes, um, about 20% of all diabetic patients are going to have visual problems. So if you translate that uh, a few years down the road or yeah. a few decades down the road, uh, that's that's a big problem up ahead. And so we've course, got to work hard now. Yeah, and yes. of course with the aging population, then you exactly. have the age-related uh, issues exactly. as well. Huh? Exactly, yeah. it's a perfect storm. There's a, there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot to be thoughtful about when it comes to this topic, isn't it? That's right. Yes. Yeah. It, there, hasn't, there hasn't been the push or the urge, uh, the push, I should say, to, to really talk about a lot of these issues. And as you mentioned just a moment ago, the priorities have to be addressed. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. is, that, is that the reason? What else, what else can be done to really bring these issues to the fore um, by the general public? Well, I think um, the, in terms of awareness and support for people with visual disability and that, that whole uh, cause, that's increasing as well. I think uh, we've tried our best uh, at Guide Dog Singapore to to put out that message that um, first of all, there is that large number of people there that need our help and support and number two, what can you do uh, as a member of the public? What can you do as an eye care professional mm. uh, to, help, to help them as well? So that message is going out. Um, things are improving in general. Awareness is improving but like I said again, uh, we've got a long way more to go, uh, whether it's with visual disability or just supporting guide dogs in general. Yeah, mm-hmm. let's talk about Guide Dog Singapore. You're the you're the chairman, and uh, tell us about the organization. How did it How did it start, and what's what's sort of the history on it? Right, we we were founded in 2006, so that's that's so relatively new. Relatively new, yeah, yes. Yeah. And um, at the moment, we've actually uh, formed about seven uh, uh, teams. By teams, we mean a guide dog paired with a guide dog handler. Mm. So so if you think about it, seven teams in this country of, of a very densely populated population, it's um, not, not a lot, yeah. right? And we are still far behind uh, countries like Japan in Asia, for example, and of course, way behind Australia, America, and the UK as well. Mm. But it's getting there. Um, so uh, through the years, uh, we've worked on not just forming guide dog teams, but I would say actually the biggest part of our business, our work, is training people with orientation and mobility. That's called O&M. And it's best understood by saying white cane mobility. Hmm. So actually, the, the biggest business of guide dogs is white cane uh, training and orientation and mobility training. And it's only through um, good O&M training that you get people who will then be eligible for guide dogs training. Hmm. Yes. Hmm. And does somebody have to be completely blind to get a dog? Absolutely not. So most of our clients who have guide dogs, our handlers, are visually impaired. 
quite profoundly in, in, in many of them. Uh, and I would say a couple of them are, are completely legally blind. But no, that's not the qualifying uh, criteria to get to get a dog. Sure. Is it difficult in Singapore? I, I have been out uh, when I've been out and, and a couple of times in the 15 or so years that I've lived here, uh, I've, I've seen guide dogs helping somebody. And yes. uh, the people around them, the Singaporeans around them always seem a bit at a loss for what to do exactly. or how to behave. Exactly. And right. uh, compare that to uh, the U.S. and other places where guide dogs are quite natural. People leave them alone. They know they're working dogs and, and things like that. Are, are there some challenges like that that you're facing in Singapore? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. So um, I think we look forward to the day when guide dogs are a non-issue. Right. So there's still an issue here. And like you say, it's a lot of it is um, not being aware and not knowing how to handle it. So uh, we like to tell uh when, when we give our public outreach and our advocacy talks, just a few points, really. Uh, first of all, guide dogs are not pets. They're right. very different. Uh, they are service dogs. Uh, they are part-time pets. I think once they go home, they're pets, but otherwise they're service dogs. So they are performing a very important task of leading and preventing their uh, handler from getting into trouble, r- running or falling uh, across obstacles. So one big thing is never distract a guide dog when they are at work. Maybe if you can see the guide dog and his handler sort of sitting down in a park and having a relaxing time, that might be a good time to say, hey, could I, you know, uh, come up and pet the dog and mm. ask, ask the handler? Ask of course, first. yes. Yeah. But otherwise, if the dog and the handler are on the move, please don't distract them. They generally know where they're going and they have a very good handle on the situation as well. Is it appropriate, let's say you're at a, at a, at a crossing, a stoplight or something, and you're stopped and somebody that has a guide dog is there. Is it appropriate to say, hi, I noticed you have a, a guide dog. Do you need any assistance yeah, is, is that a is that a reasonable thing to say or is that a, an insult in some that way was, that's textbook and that's what we hope most people will come up with as well it's a gentle offer of assistance but generally our seven or eight guide dog um, handlers in Singapore are very independent very very capable people they know where they're going so I think a gentle offer would be would be the best best approach a gentle yeah. offer of assistance but definitely don't reach down try and pet the dog do yes. the those are no-nos absolutely right absolutely not not while, while they're on the move. Right, yeah. right. And the other thing that we could say is to speak up for them as well. If you see uh, some, another member of the public, a fellow passenger on a train, for example, giving them grief because they, they don't understand why a guide dog's on a train or on a bus, well, they're allowed by legislation actually to get onto all public transport. And that's where LTA has been very huge partners with guide dogs. Mm-hmm. So they are fully allowed on, on trains, buses, and taxis as well. And you should try to speak up for our guide dogs and their handlers as well if you see them and you see anyone giving them grief. Uh, they are also very much allowed into all malls, restaurants, uh, shops as well. And uh, actually, even halal establishments, we've had great uh, guidance and support from Moose. Wow. Uh, and um, because a guide dog is not a pet, so they are not subjected to the same uh, constraints or concerns that um, uh, the Islamic religion would have as well. So mm. MUIS, if you could check their website at muis.gov.sg, they've got very good um, um, support instructions on how Muslims should regard uh, guide dogs as well. And That's uh, fascinating. That, that is. It is a very, very interesting aspect yeah. of, our, of our work as well. Yeah, we're talking with Dr. Wong Hong Tim, who's the chairman of Guide Dogs Singapore. And, and Dr. Wong tell us a little bit more about where the dogs come from and, and what what does their training pr- program look like before they come qualified, certified to, to be a guide dog? It's a really long and interesting journey for a puppy. So um, 
uh, our dogs generally come from Australia and in fact uh, most of them have come from Victoria, uh, Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, we've got great partners, uh, Guide Dogs Victoria. So the puppies are born in Australia, in Melbourne and uh, at about uh, two months of life, uh, they then get sort of selected and they are fostered to volunteer families in the community. Interesting. Yeah, for about almost a year mm. and this family takes charge of looking after them and some basic training and uh, after a year or so they are brought back to the guide dogs association for the to the training school and that's when they do a sort of an audition to see if this puppy has has sort of uh, the right has, temperament. has got the right stuff huh? that's right has got the right <laughs> stuff and um, and uh, that's that's quite heartbreaking because mm. families are invested in this and about half or one th- or two-thirds of dogs don't actually carry on uh, with with the actual formal training is that right yes huh. it's it's a very rigorous process so after after about that year then those who make it through that particular stage then get that intensive training for about six months to another year mm. and that's when they start matching them with with the clients or mm. with the handlers and uh, for Singapore that's when we actually what we used to do is we had to fly a the Singaporean who was next on our list to Australia for that matching for that training and if that works it's like a date it's a bit yeah. like, a, like a date and if that works then they are flown back here wow. with another guide dog instructor from Australia for another few weeks to train them through several routes that they have for example home to the bank home to supermarket and that's another few couple of months so that was a very expensive and, and really yeah. onerous process but the good news is that we now have our own uh, guide dog instructor the first ever in Singapore. Uh, mm-hmm. Her name's uh, Chris, and uh, she just returned from from Guide Dogs Victoria in, in November last year. So now we have on the island uh, a guide dog instructor who's going to be able to uh, take. Tr- semi-trained or fully trained dogs from Australia and then match them immediately on local soil with a Singaporean. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, that's amazing. And, and how, much, how much does this cost? If I am a, a blind person and I need a guide dog, do I pay for it? Or how, what do the costs look like? Well, that, that's what we do. So yeah. we will handle the costs for you. Mm. It's about forty to 50000 Sing dollars for that entire process. The whole process. Yeah, yeah. but that was in the, in the days when we had to fly people to Australia. Mm. Mm. So now with, with Chris, uh, our GDM, our Guide Dogs Mobility Instructor in Singapore, that's going to go down by quite a lot. Yeah. But Guide Dogs Singapore is con- going to continue to fund and, and, and make sure that happens for uh, each and every uh, deserving client. This is mm. fascinating. And mm. how many, uh, eventually, how, what's your goal? How many Guide Dogs would you like to have? Would you like to have one for all you know 50,000 people that you think might have uh, these sorts of issues? or That's an interesting question. I think if you look at the other countries, um, about 10 to 20% uh, of their visually disabled um, uh, people have guide dogs. So that's quite a high percentage. Yeah. And uh, for us, we're just going to aim to get about two or three new teams per year and, and work our way up from there. So that, that's our aim. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, for anyone who's listening, how can... How can the public get involved? Are you looking for uh, donations? Are you looking for corporate sponsorships? What 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 could some of our business leaders who are uh, you know listening today? What what could they help? We need with? all the help we can get. And uh, yes, we're looking for volunteers. We're looking for donors, both uh, personal donors and uh, corporate donors as well. And I think just like any other charity in Singapore now, because of COVID nineteen, I mean this word is going to haunt us for a long while. Mm. Uh, all our many of our activities have actually been curtailed. So I think all charities in Singapore need extra help now. The community chest has been helping, but we will need the public to chip in as well. Um, So uh, I'd like 
everyone who's listening in to go to uh, giving.sg, mm. search for Guide Doc Singapore there, and uh, that's that's where we are. You can donate to us either on a one-shot basis or on a monthly, regular mm. basis as well. And of course, it would be great if, if uh, interested corporations uh, Please get in touch with us as well with, through Facebook or Instagram. That's where we are, and we'd be happy to see how we can work together. So they go to giving.sg and then look for Guide Dog Singapore. That's right. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you uh, so much for talking to us today, uh, Dr. Wong Hong Tim. Yes. And uh, really fascinating. We hope that, uh, that you can increase the number of guide dogs and that those of us here that see them working will approach them in the proper way or not yes. approach them at all. Right. Just yes. let them do their job. That's right. That's right. Thanks for having us very much, uh, Glenn. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.